I do have to ask you, would caucuses are enemies? I mean, in the liberty movement, in your opinion. Enemies? Come on, so, man. I mean, don't, don't hold back. Yeah, don't hold two, back. No, the two obviously would be the Socialist Caucus and the Audacious Caucus. I agree. I knew you would say that because I agree 100%, man. So like the Audacious Caucus splintered off and said, guys, we're more radical than the, than the radicals. And that doesn't sound so bad. But then it's all mm-hmm. fun and games until, you know, Weeks is naked on the stage. And, and, and <laughs> like... Transmitting directly from the launch pad. Bringing blue collar to your cell tower. The rock and roll libertarian himself. It's time to blast off with Johnny Rocket. Hey, this is Blast Off with Johnny Rocket. I am here with my red truth, Miss Rayleigh Lightheart. Hello, Johnny. How are you doing right now? I'm doing well. Doing well. And uh, You're alive. I'm alive, You're yes. alive. I do not have cancer. Phoenix is hot. I went to the doctor yesterday and I found out <laughs> I do not have cancer. I'm just excited about that. No, actually, uh, I've been really busy with the Launchpad Media. We've been... We've been getting a lot of people supporting us, and uh, we had a major acquisition yesterday is that we're actually working with Gun Owners of America with the company of Launchpad Media. So I'm pretty excited because they're going to start giving people who subscribe to Launchpad Media some discounts on Gun Owners of America membership and stuff like that. And uh, I'm also working on some stuff with the Mises Institute, so I think it's just really cool, and I'm excited, and I Anarcho Coffee. So we just got a whole bunch of going on. And I'm just yeah. stoked. And the Launchpad has new contributors, too. We so do. So that's kind of exciting. We yeah. have, like, the Drunken Disorderly Show. We have the Educated Anarchy with Arvin on there. Uh-huh. And just a whole bunch of new stuff is coming, new contributors. This is really exciting. And there's a new newsletter. I don't know if you guys are all getting it. But if you are not getting it, go to thelaunchpadmedia.com and sign up for the newsletter. And then you'll just, once a week, you'll get an easy, benign newsletter with a few links that you might want to look at. I, I love it. Good plug there, too. But here's the thing. I had this great idea, and I think this is actually going to come into fruition. And I talked to Arvin Vora, who has this new show, Educating Anarchy, and I thought, hey, you know what would be funny is if we had Alex Merced and Arvin Vora do a podcast together, and we put it behind a paywall. Wouldn't that be funny? I love Alex and Arvin together, um, their approaches. Exactly. You know what I mean? So I, I just thought about thinking you know, of, of the name of the show. I have no idea yet, but I was thinking like the odd couple because that's exactly what they are. One's like, you know, super emotionally based and one's more logical based. So, you know, you put these two and they're both have the same outcomes, like their end results the same. So I just think it'd be really cool. But yeah, we have them both agreeing to do it. So that's what I'm excited about. Woo. It's going to be fun. So if you subscribe to thelaunchpadmedia.com, you will eventually get to hear this show with Alex Merced and Arvind Vora. So, Raylene, are you ready for the show? You know it. All right. So, political action committees or PACs, organizations used to raise election funds. PACs play an important role in campaign finance and heavily influence politics. While most political donations come from private individuals, a PAC is a private political organization used to raise and spend money in order to elect or defeat particular candidates. PACs collecting pool contributions from individuals. Today, we're talking to Michael Heiss, the chair of the Mises Caucus, about the new Mises PAC in which the Mises Caucus has teamed up with the 10th Amendment Center to start a decentralized revolution. Michael Heiss is the founder of the Mises Caucus and is currently the chair of the Mises Caucus. Michael's mission is to bring economics and property rights into the party again. Michael is a proponent against gun control and is an avid supporter of ending the Fed. Okay, Raylene, prepare for liftoff. Copy that, Johnny. Covers, tie-downs, and grounding cables. Removed as required. Communications connected. Check. Preamps in the green. Check. Cold bear. Double check. Thrusters are hot. Raylene, are you ready to rock? All systems go, Johnny. Let's blast off with Actually, you made a hard right instead of going that, making that left. But yeah, man, welcome <laughs> to the show. Uh, I'm digging what you're doing, man, and it's really fun. So the Mises Caucus has really stirred up some controversy in the last year. And actually, since you were last on the old Johnny Rocket Launchpad, you guys have been doing some incredible stuff. 
give us a recap of what you've been doing in the last year or so since the last time you were on the show. Well, we uh, had to figure out what we wanted to do after the convention, you know, because obviously how we started, it was basically centered around the chairs race and leading up to that convention. So uh, there was a lot of excitement about that. Obviously, we supported Joshua Smith and we were able to uh, crowdfund enough money for him to go to like 20 states or something like that. And, And, you know, he really got the word out, not just about his own campaign, but about us with the Mises Caucus as well. And um it just built up a, a community. I mean, our Facebook group has almost 4,000 people in it right now. And, you know, the majority of that came from that time, like the vast sure. majority of that. So like it brought a lot of people together. And so Josh didn't win the chairs race, but he did very easily get on the LNC. And then we also uh, helped Alex Merced get on the LNC as well. We, we endorsed him. And once that was all over, it's like, all right, where do we go from here? You know, we can't just be a bunch of uh, rabble rousers that, you know, fight for the chair all the time. You know, right. so right. it was like, what are we going to what are we going to do with this thing that that has coalesced around what we did? And so, you know, I went back to the drawing board after that and started doing all of the the boring work, because, you know, <laughs> when you when you have the when you have the convention and you have the the take human action bash that we did where we brought out like Tom Woods and Bob Murphy and Very Ron cool. Paul sent us a video endorsing us. Um, you know, a bunch of crypto speakers. It was a great time. There's like 500 people there. But when you're promoting all that stuff, that's like sexy, you know, and <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's exciting. Yeah. And, and, um, but you know, it's, it's not really as exciting to be like, guess what? I made a, a, uh, spreadsheet with 2000 libertarian contacts from scratch. Man, like, that's okay. awesome. Some people, <laughs> might, some people might get turned on by that dude. Don't, I mean, I wouldn't put past some libertarian. We should make you some really sweet memes. I, I just want to throw it out there. You should meme it like uh, Libertarian Sexy or something really that fun is. like that. Spreadsheets and PowerPoint, man. Like, like literally hashtag on. it on there. They do. Label it with your with I'm me. trying to stick to the keto thing again so give me like three months and then maybe I'll <laughs> I'll get down to my sexy level. He's eating a lot of bacon, guys. He just can't make memes. It just can't. <laughs> but, but, um, but that's the kind of stuff that we had to do. The grinding work in the background, the, the making spreadsheets, the making plans, the making workflows, the making a vision, you know, and what are we going to do? So uh, the, the plan was always to make uh, what's called a hybrid pack. And we have now finally got to launch that. And, and what a uh, what a hybrid pack is, is, um, so people are normally familiar with like a federal pack or a super pack. What a hybrid pack is, it's, it's one committee, but there's two bank accounts and one bank account serves as basically a federal pack and the other one serves as a, uh, a super pack. So you basically have the functionality of both under one roof. Okay. And it's, it's a relatively new concept within the past six years because of some case law. So what we're doing with that is. With a, a federal PAC, the traditional PAC, you can use that to give direct contributions to candidates um, with a federal limitation of $5,000. And then that might go down from there, depending on the regulations in the state or the county. So what we want to do is we're, we're using that to um, raise money and make direct donations to principled and, and viable candidates at the local and county level, because that's where we can and do win. And it's where we need to build up. I mean, we need to build people up at those levels to launch them into state. And then once you get to state, you might be able to launch them into uh, into federal. Right. OK, so so it's all about building that bench. So, you know, Joshua Smith is is our campaign guy or uh, I'm sorry, our candidate guy. So, you know, he's vetting candidates and we're getting ready to put a survey up, just kind of formalize the process a little bit. But, oh, nice. You know, we've already got people that we're looking at. And, uh, you know, we've, we've already, we just crossed a milestone into that account of uh, $1,000 coming in every month in recurring donors, which, um, you know, that's not a lot in the grand scheme of things, but with the the level of races that we're getting, we're looking at a thousand dollars can be an absolute game changer. It is. Mm-hmm. It's actually really good. Really good. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask another pack question, but I was going to ask you, are you going to make your survey public so we can all see what you're doing? Yeah, it'll um, be a, it'll be a page on the website. Badass. I love that. Thank you for the transparency. And I just want to ask a clarifying question about the role of PACs. Is it only for candidates and support for candidates or do they also fund initiatives or work with others on single issues? And how does the Mises Caucus plan on divvying up the resources? So that's what we actually want to do with the the super PAC side of things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so with the super PAC side of things, the, so the difference is is with the with the uh, traditional PAC, you can give money directly to candidates. 
and then that also comes with the you can only bring in five thousand from any one donor and only give five thousand to any one candidate. With the super PAC, you can't spend money directly, like you can't give it to a campaign. And you can't do things on a campaign's behalf, but you can raise and spend unlimited amounts of money to spend in a third party kind of way. Now, what I wanna do with that is kind of emulate what Young Americans for Liberty does with Operation Win at the Door, which is their program where you know they, they have their surveys, they'll pick a candidate, and once they're a go on a candidate, they'll pay the way and give a wage to uh, a group of college students from their, their campus groups to uh, and give them walk lists and basically say, here's the candidate, here's the walk list, go out here, knock on 30,000 doors three times or whatever right. the number okay. of doors might be. And uh, they've had a lot of success with that. But mm-hmm. so I, I kind of want to emulate something like that. But I think that because we are focusing on local and county level races, that it might not make sense for campaigns for the most part. I mean, not to say that we wouldn't do it for a campaign like the Maj Torre campaign, where it's the fifth largest city in the country. That's mm-hmm. a different story. But like a lot of these are going to be smaller types of races. So uh, I don't know if it would really make sense for them. So what we want to do instead is uh, instead of getting people out for campaigns necessarily, getting them out for causes. And then this is where mm-hmm. the partnership with the 10th Amendment Center comes into play. Mm. Because basically what we can do is we can kind of be the political bridge to their education and uh, efforts and their coalitions. You know, so exactly. they already yes. know people. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they already know issue groups and they already, you know, know uh, people from the ACLU in different states and work with them. And we can be the political bridge, the boots on the ground to do stuff. So, you know, one that I'm really proud of that we didn't pay people to go out and do it. We didn't have any money, but um, we absolutely did support and help with the uh, psilocybin, the psychedelic mushroom initiative in Denver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Decriminalize Denver is the, if yeah, you want to search that's it. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that was awesome. And and I reached out to that guy before that effort was, um, was ever on the ballot. And, you know, he told me that I was the first libertarian to reach out to him. And that kind of like pissed me off a little bit. So, you know, I, I, we did everything we could to get him. I got him on Tom Woods. I got him on some other podcasts. And then we got him in front of the Libertarian Party of Colorado. They passed a resolution to support. So then he was able to, um, you know, recruit libertarians yeah. to knock on doors and, um, the thing only passed by less than 2000 votes. Yeah. So it could have been the Libertarian Party that actually helped push that, pushed it over the edge there to actually pass. I don't want to take credit. It was their effort and everything. But I, I, I think our efforts counted for something when you're talking about oh, that yeah. slim of a margin. Yeah, I, I agree. I definitely think so. Well, Michael, historically, people with money control elections, right? We all know this. Some libertarians argue that with the corporations, billionaires and other PACs controlling the elections, that the end result is to silence any opposition to the average voter. And this is why libertarians have never got into office or have had a, a fair shot in the election system. How would you respond to them? And would you agree or disagree? Oh, it's true. It's it's absolutely true. But I would also say that uh, I think so much, generally speaking, is focused at the top and the national level that we have a lot of opportunities at the local and county level. Mm-hmm. We have multiple auditors and stuff like that here in Pennsylvania, or even in my county, that are uh, don't have anybody running for them. Mm-hmm. So- With limited resources, we have to spend them in a way where they are maximized. And I think that is at the local and county level. And that just also happens to make sense politically because we don't have political capital really above the local level. So uh, we we got to build that up where the PACs aren't really most other PACs aren't really paying attention. You know, like I, I live in a town, Norristown, Pennsylvania. There's thirty five thousand people here. Seventy uh, percent of the voting population is is Democrat. I don't think there's any you know big PACs. Funding, right. yeah, I don't think know, so. You got the Amish council. there. Come on, dude. You got the Amish <laughs> there. I, well, that's I, Lancaster County. This is outside of I, I understand. I, I lived in Lancaster. <laughs> we talked about this before. I live, I'm from Lancaster. Yeah, yeah. Really quick, regarding voting, though. I have a good friend. I'm not going to mention his name, but I have a good friend who uh, has run for office numerous times as a libertarian. And what he said to me was, is he will not accept any money from PACs, corporations, organizations, whatever, And he will only accept money from individuals. And he thinks that the idea of a group of people collectively bargaining and giving money to a candidate or something is wrong for the system. And me and him have talked about it. And he said, well, I think we need to have legislation to make it fair across the board where we have a cap on how much people 
donate to the, you know, to the actual elections or whatever like that. But to me, I want your opinion on this, but to me, it doesn't make sense. To me, it's like, it's a natural right of expression to donate however much money you want to donate to. And I think, I don't know if that's necessarily a very positive libertarian approach to the issue. I don't think it's necessarily that we should limit people. I just think that we should just get rid of the cronyism within politics. I, I just want your point on this and your opinion. Well, I agree. I think it technically falls under the First Amendment. And on top of that, I think it's just um, outside of reality. I mean, the political reality is that there's, that there's no there's no political will to change that because it benefits the, the powers that be currently. So we can either adapt and learn to play that particular game. Right. Or we can keep doing the same thing and getting the same results. Eventually, we're going to have to learn to play the game, and I don't mean I don't mean that by compromising our principles, but we're going to have to play the game at a higher level to ascend to a higher level. Okay. And that's that's what this is. I mean, PACs dominate politics; mm-hmm. they completely dominate them. You know, everybody in the party, rightfully so, complains that we don't have any infrastructure. Well, what what do you think that looks like? Right. So we have to build that up, and that I, I think PACs are what that looks like. So like. We are starting that. We are one. I know there's other PACs, but I think they're more state specific and and stuff like that. I don't think there's ever been a PAC that's existed solely to build the party up from the ground up. Interesting. Mm -hmm. That's a very cool idea. I mean, very innovative. Go ahead, Raylene. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I got I got a couple questions that are in the same wheelhouse. So what is your response to those in our movement who believe working within the political spectrum is validating its existence? Like kind of like the vacate the vote crew. And how, yeah, how would you communicate the value of fighting this state? First of all, let me say that that was me. I, I was there after. I mean, I was a huge Ron Pauler and um, I went to Florida for the GOP convention to support him. And, and you know, so I saw what he did. And, and it was after that that I became an anarchist. And, and, you know, I didn't get involved with the party and I was never involved with the GOP, just, you know, grassroots efforts for Ron Paul. But um right. What I learned, and 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 I get the concept, but I, I I think it's wrong, like factually wrong, because the state doesn't. Because we'll all say that, that the state is violence, the government is violence. If it's, it's a monopoly on violence, and and so if you have a monopoly on violence, it doesn't really matter if if one sees you as legitimate or not. Like, what does that do? What? Is, how does that slow the state? Oh, I think this is illegitimate. Like a slave is still a slave, even if they don't recognize that they're a slave. Even in their, if they're in their own mind, they think they're free. Well, right. And that's it. They'll still get hit with a weed charge. They'll still get hit with a tax evasion charge. Mm-hmm. They'll still get hit with a registration or an out license or whatever it may be. So to me, I think it's a pride thing because there's something really dark and nasty that you have to accept to come to that, right. that, that conclusion, yeah. which is that True. we are not free at all. We're not. Absolutely. We are eventually high functioning slaves. And that's that's really like bombastic language, but it's really sophisticated slavery that they that they've implemented now where we like pay for our own our own imposition. And, and, right. and, yes. and so when that is the situation, again, we have to deal with reality. We have to deal with the world as it is. And the fact right. of the matter is, is that if you take that position, you're fundamentally saying that I should be at the whim of the dictates of democracy with no defense. Mm-hmm. So it's defensive, and and I, I I defensively vote, especially locally. Um, okay, so there well, are let me, many. Let me add one more thing to that yeah, because there's, there's, that. Two, there's two elements to it. There's voting candidates, and then there's voting like initiatives and issues. Mm-hmm. So I would like to see how anybody could say, "Oh man, Kentucky passing uh, constitutional carry is statism." <laughs> oh, uh, Denver decriminalizing mushrooms is statism. Okay. Like I, I just. <laughs> Okay, good point. A really good point, Michael. And I want to, we, we talked about this on the, a few shows ago, actually, regarding, you know, voting is violence. We can just all agree because we're imposing our will, but it's our only way of defending ourselves. And it is violence, but the non-aggression principle states that we can use violence in self-defense. So if that's the case, we can use violence in defense. And especially if it's a negative right, we're voting for a negative. We're not asking the government to do something. We're asking the government to leave us alone. So I don't think there's really any anything wrong with that. Right, right. Okay, so um, there's a lot of libertarians and anarchists out there in the movement that won't join the party. Um, Eric July would come to mind. Is the Mises Caucus still working on their behalf? And do you need them to be party members to support you? 
Good yeah, I mean, I, that's 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 a big part of what we're trying to do is give voice because so I'm of the opinion and I don't, I don't really think it's an opinion. I think it's a fact. But but I'm of the opinion that the Ron Paul sphere, let's say, of, of the libertarian movement. So the Ron Paul, you know, Ron Paul, Mises Institute, 10th Amendment Center and and all of these things that kind of came out of the Ron Paul movement, like uh, the Free Thought Project, Kokesh came out of it. The anti-media came out of it. Ben Swan came out of it. Mm-hmm. That whole sphere, I think that is the biggest chunk of the libertarian pie. Mm-hmm. And they're not they're in large part not in the party. So like I, I constantly drive this point home of how there's there's millions of libertarians, but there's only sixteen thousand LP members. Right. So so I would say absolutely, yeah, we do need them. And and I get where Eric July is coming from though. And and uh I do think there's something to be said that we're all different cogs in an overall liberty machine. So if Eric thinks that his best use is is to, you know, talk about pop culture or talk about, you know, and, and try to infiltrate the culture, then that's absolutely a worthwhile idea and something that we need to do. It's, right. it's the problem is, is that we're under assault in a 360 degree sense. I mean, we're constantly so policies are always passed that that restrict freedom. And then you got propaganda 24 seven from cradle to grave. That's right. You know, and and so we have to be willing to fight in a 360 degree way. And it's not easy when you're a group of 300 Spartans. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true, man. <laughs> so we got to We got to We got to you know, join the party. We got to vote. But we also got to become doctors and lawyers and influencers and mm. and respected people in society who people will what we think. That's true, because everyone wants a candidate who has a reputation or has some notoriety of some sort, right? As you have written, several states have legalized gold and silver as money. Several more have like legalized the permit less carry of firearms. Marijuana is now recreationally legal in 10 states in Washington, D.C. Alabama Senate recently passed a bill to remove government from marriage altogether. This is a huge step in, in getting government out of the way. What are some more steps you would like to see happen in the immediate future? So we have a page on the website, and the website is lpmesescaucus.com, and uh, we have a page on there called Our Actions. Um, Now, we want to add to this, but if you go on there, you will see a list complete with sample legislation that you can view of all the different things that we are after. So legalization of gold and silver is one of them. Uh, You know, banning government use of facial uh, recognition or banning use of stingray technology by your local police or banning your local police from enforcing federal gun control laws or getting a gold repository in your state. There's all kinds of things. I mean, I remember I saw one effort, this was years ago, where uh, I think some state tried to shut off the water to the NSA building in their state. You know, oh. there's there's all kinds of things. I mean, we're oh, that's Utah. that was Utah. That yes. was Utah. Okay. Yeah, that's, that was with that's the right. NSA. That was with the NSA. So one it's, thing, yeah. One one idea that we have in the pipeline that uh, I really really like is that you know resolutions don't achieve anything, and that you know per se, and that's true. However, we wanted to write up a, a both a local and a state resolution that basically says. Norristown stands against the wars in Afghanistan and Yemen and, and, and Iraq and, and all that. And if you can get that done in enough localities, then maybe you can get your state to do it. If you get, you know, several states to do it, then all of a sudden you're making a big statement, mm-hmm. you know. And I as as somebody in the in the from the Ron Paul revolution, I think war and peace is the, the biggest issue of our time, along with the Fed. Right on. Mm. Yeah. So are there any other caucuses involved in the Libertarian Party that you align with and that you like or respect? And what role specifically is the Mises Caucus filling that others aren't? Why is this important? So there's there's other caucuses um, of varying levels of uh, activity or, or, you know, moving forward. I think sometimes some of them fall into like clubs for people who are of like like mine and not, you know, and that's fine. Um, mm-hmm. Once you get to what I would consider serious caucuses, it, it gets to be a lot less. So you got the obviously you got the radical caucus, and I would say by and large that we're um, I consider us allies. I mean, you know, yeah. we're we're somewhat of a controversial group, so there's always people on the board everywhere that that oh I don't like those racists or whatever it is. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but uh, but uh, <laughs> no, I would but I would say they they are our biggest allies in the in the LP. Um, mm-hmm. I would agree. I think I would agree with you on that. Yeah. Yeah, I align with the Reds and, and I do too. Yeah, Mises Caucus and Radical Caucus, my two favorites. You know. Yeah. Now, then, of course, you got the the Prague Caucus, which I don't want 
on the entire thing. I mean, no, go ahead. I know. Go ahead, man. Don't hold back. <laughs> well, I, I mean, no, no. I know. I know good people. I know good people in the Prague caucus, and like that's fine. Know, the, the chair, the, the chair of the Philly party, who was helping out with the Maj campaign, is. No, uh, I'm sorry, Maj. I've seen him. He's awesome. I've seen his comments. He's crazy. It's amazing. It's just amazing to watch. But um, yeah. I'm surprised that a Prague would back Maj because of his messaging and stuff. You know. Yeah, it was, well, it was interesting. Me and him had a conversation about a week. I was going to an LNC meeting and I've had a rapport with Maj for like two years. Cool. And so I felt confident that I could talk him into it. And I was like, you know what? I'll get you, Maj. Because the thing is, so this guy has had his, uh, the, the Philly chair, I mean, has had his eye on this race for a while now because it is a uniquely viable opportunity because it's the fifth largest city in the country. But we technically only need 35 in the 35,000 vote range to win. Mm-hmm. And wow. yeah, and that's so, and that's not a lot. It's not a lot. And the reason for that is, um, so there's, he's, Maj is running for what's called a uh, city council at large, which means he's not voted by the residents of a particular ward. He's, he's voted by the entire Philly population. So um, that's cool. There's seven, that's cool. there's seven of these seats and there's a rule in place that any one party is only allowed to hold five of them. So what that means is that basically the Republicans get two by default. So they like the Democrats will run five people. The Republicans will get five people. The Democrats completely run the table. You know, their lowest vote getter of the five might get 130,000 votes or something like that. Whereas the Republican, though, in, in now in 2015 was the last time this this race happened. In 2015, mm-hmm. 35,000 votes would have beat both Republicans. And technically speaking, all he's got to do is beat the second highest Republican. OK, wow. that is cool. That is really cool. Now, before we go, before we go on our first commercial break, I do have to ask you, what caucuses are enemies? I mean, in the liberty movement, in your opinion. Enemies? Come on, so, man. Uh, don't, well, don't hold back. Yeah, don't hold two, back. No, the two obviously would be the the, the Socialist Caucus and the uh, and the Audacious Caucus, which I almost see as interchangeable with the with the, uh, okay. the, the Lib Stop. I agree. I knew you would say that because I agree 100%, man. And somebody had stated that pretty much the Audacious Caucus is pretty much just a front for socialists without saying the name. And that's really what they're about. Well, what their thing is, it, it, what's funny is one of the co-founders of the, the Mises Caucus started out in the Audacious Caucus because how they, my understanding of how they started out was um, the, there was a, frac- a faction of the Radical Caucus that was pissed off that the rest of the Radical Caucus was falling in line uh, behind Johnson and Weld. So like the Audacious Caucus splintered off and said, guys, we're more radical than the than the radicals. Right. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't sound so bad. Right. Mm-hmm. I was tricked also, by the way. Keep going. But then it's all mm-hmm. fun and games until, you know, Weeks is naked on the stage. And, 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 <laughs> like, and, yeah. and then they just kind of took this turn of like, oh, we're going to be outrage edgelords. You know, yeah. and, and I'm of the opinion that like I get it. You want to be principled and 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 radical in your principles and 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 all of that. But I think what the Ron Paul campaign told us is that it's really a lot more simple than we make it out to be. All you gotta do is go out there and tell the truth. And when you're living in a in a in a, a society where you know the government is so big, so corrupt, it lies so much that the truth is already a pretty radical idea. It is. It is, man. And I'm with you 100%. Hey, and make sure you check out America's fastest growing number one pro-liberty radio program, Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live is on seven nights per week and on 190 plus radio stations, coast to coast, and is pro-liberty every issue, every time. So check out freetalklive.com. Again, that's freetalklive.com. Anyways, though, this is Johnny Rocket, always launching ideas. We're talking to Michael Heiss, and we'll be right back after this commercial break. Rock and roll. Hey, listener, chances are some of you are business owners, entrepreneurs, or have a product that you're dying to bring to market. Well, there's something that you all have in common. You need a killer brand, website, and an all-around awesome design to stand out from your competition. Well, I have the solution for you. Invisible Hand Design. We've trusted them with Launchpad Media, Blast Off Branding, Liberty Force, and even my wife's presidential campaign website. They do not disappoint. Yeah, didn't they also do the branding for McAfee in 2016? Damn straight. So if your company's image could use a hand, go ahead and reach out to them. Right. They're even offering Blast Off listeners a 20% discount on their first project. Book your conversation with them at InvisibleHandDesign.com 
forward slash blast off. Oh, hell yeah. And we can even do one better. If you work with them, we'll feature the project all over our social media page to give you a launch and a little extra rocket fuel in your engine. Anyway, so that is InvisibleHandDesign.com forward slash blast off. Again, InvisibleHandDesign.com forward slash blast off. This is Johnny Rocket, always launching ideas in your direction. Johnny, this is Cindy. What is your problem? You are such a capitalist pig just trying to exploit my messages to make yourself a bug. Seriously? Fine. It's fine. I don't care. Fine. I don't, I, but I, I don't care. But if I have to be the voice of reason on your insane show, then so be it. If I can't reach you, I guess maybe I'll just have to reach some of your listeners. Now, I heard you're having that guy from the Mises Caucus on your show, which is absolutely unbelievable. You do realize that they're a fascist organization that supports Trump and the Nazis, right? I, I mean, I guess that's the company that you choose to keep. Why would someone ever name themselves after a Jew-hating Nazi like that Austrian guy, Ludwig von Mises, anyway? Why would they do that? America is the richest country in the world, Johnny, and you should try listening to American economists instead of a bunch of dead Austrians. You know who I like? Paul Kurzman. You should have him on your show. You know, he's a level-headed man, and you should try listening to him sometimes. Very famous, and he's never been refuted. Now, I know your friend Tom Woods might think that he's refuting Krugman, but honestly, Tom is just a nasty Southern Confederate that obviously has no credibility. So why don't you go learn some real economics, Johnny? Stop supporting these horrible racists and get a grip already. Goodbye. Johnny Rocket, I'm here with my Ray of Truth, Miss Rayleigh Lightheart. Hey, what fun. What fun. This is cool. I never knew a pack. Talking about a pack. We're talking to Michael Heist, by the way. <laughs> Didn't even introduce our guest. But uh, we're talking about the Mises pack. And I never thought talking about a pack, a political action committee, would actually be so much damn fun. It's actually <laughs> pretty interesting. Oh, my God. You sound um, like me, Johnny. I know. This is, I'm so excited to be here. God damn it. All right. So, Michael, thank you again for being here on the show. What we do here on the second part of the show, sir, it's called Rocket Fire. Rocket Fire. What we do on Rocket Fire, sir, is I'm going to ask you a series of 10 questions. These questions will be politically related. And if you can answer these questions between 30 to 60 seconds, I'll be badass. Michael Heiss, Michael Heiss, are you ready to play Rocket Fire? Let's launch. All right, here we go. Question one. Do you think there is a divide between the cultural liberal and the cultural conservative? And do you think that this is one of the main issues that causes turmoil within the Libertarian Party? Oh, yes. Yeah, I, I would say um, people who are more on the conservative end of the spectrum tend to think that there is a good way to live life and, and a proper way to live life. And that there's some lifestyles or activities that are outside of that and they might lead down bad paths. Whereas I would say, you know, so that would might lead people to be, uh, it, how it manifests in a libertarian sense is you might get the uh, the pro-life libertarians that way, right? So, and but then the other way is kind of more libertine and anything goes and it's free expression and, and you know, all of that. And I think, yes, it, it creates some big impasses that are that are tough to bridge. I am with you 100% on that. Question two, what is inflation and what causes it? So inflation uh, is the expansion of the money supply because of printing of the Federal Reserve, but uh, printing of money from the Federal Reserve. But they're actually not the only ones that do it. The banks themselves do it just by making loans uh, because of fractional reserve banking. So they're actually right. adding money into the economy all the time because they're through accounting paperwork, added, like putting money that's not actually there on their balance sheets, and that also inflates it. But the effect of this is to uh, raise prices because of the devaluing of the dollar. Bam, a great explanation. Question three. Some have claimed that no true democracies ever go to war with each other. In fact, does history bear that claim out? No. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the, the, the founding fathers uh, observed... Well, I guess there were still kingdoms and everything back then, but but we there's been wars all over the place. There's wars all over the place right now, and I I guess it's kind of tenuous on what a democracy even is or what a republic even is when Korea like North Korea is calling itself one. So right. uh, I, 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 would, yeah. I would boil it down and say governments go to war with each other. Mm -hmm. I'm with you on that, man. Question four: Can economists using charts or high speed computer models accurately forecast the future? No, they can only they can only read trends and they can only uh, take data from those trends to make 
to make predictions. But if those predictions aren't in line with economic reality, because I would say that there's economic laws just the way that there's like physical laws. And if they and mm-hmm. and um, and it's also goes into human behavior and and how they respond to incentives. So absent that, it's I think it's going to be very tough to make predictions. But if you're going to treat it like it's physics, where it's like, oh, we're going to take a data set and we're going to analyze it. And then from this, we're going to extrapolate a formula and then we're going to apply that formula. <laughs> right. uh, then then no. And that's uh, why we're 20, 20 trillion in debt. <laughs> I'm with you, brother. I'm with you. Question five. Would deflation, falling prices, cause a catastrophic depression? Possibly. But I think it's it's necessary. Um, It could be bad because falling. So falling prices would hurt certain sectors of the economy, you know, like Mm -hmm. oil. Oil, like offshore drilling would probably dry up and they would probably shut down and lay people off um, until the prices go back up. But if it was... uh, a serious enough correction where it's like, look, buddy, it ain't coming back. Then they're going to have to be forced to work with what the actual market prices is with these types of things. And the consumer is the real powerhouse in in, in uh, economics. It's the, the consumer is what drives everything. So what's good for the mm-hmm. consumer is good for the economy. Roger that, man. Question six. Does imports from other countries where labor is cheap cause unemployment in the United States? Uh, I would say it probably does, but it's self-inflicted because we do it to ourselves. There's no reason that our our prices have to be so much higher than these other countries, given the uh, the regular the state of the regulation, the state of inflation, the state of taxation. And I, I think our I think this is borne out by the history of our our booms in this country. You know, uh, a point that I like to make a lot is that there was a point in time where where despite segregation, uh, blacks were entering the middle class at a comparable, if not higher rate than whites. And the reason for that was because we didn't have all the regulation. We didn't have all the, the, the taxation. We didn't have the occupational licensing. And it's not like and unions yeah, and, and unions. And, and it's not like inner city schools were ever good. You know what I mean? Like it's never it's yeah. not like they were ever producing like the most educated people. But blue collar jobs were there that could that could provide a middle class existence. And that's what's gone. I'm with you, man. Question seven. Why do you think the LP over the last 10 years has started to reject people like Ron Paul and Judge Andrew Napolitano? So I think this goes back to the, what, 40-year-old almost divide uh, between the Mises and the Cato ring. And um, I think because Cato uh, is more focused on policy than than what they would consider like a, a philosophical circle jerk, let's say, um, okay. I think some in leadership right now specifically feel that we have done the same thing for a long time and feel that we've ap- tried to appeal to the same people for a long time and it hasn't worked. So we have to take things in a in a different, namely left and cultural left direction. Um, okay. And I think necessarily part of that, at least in their minds, is we have to push out anything that is right. And Ron Paul is right. He's paleo. And Tom Woods is right. And paleo. And, you know, like in all these this exaggerated <laughs> yeah. that that. You know, they make up to hit, hit the uh, nail with a hammer with. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. I've, I'm seeing it myself. That's why I asked you. Question eight. What do you think is the best indicator of economic health for a country? I would say upward economic mo- uh, mobility. Okay. The ability for people to climb the, the, the ladder. You know, again, we're going back to when it was more deregulated. You used to be able to, uh, you know, spray paint taxi on your car and you're in business. <laughs> and and now we have a situation where I think this actually plays a big part of why the um, economic inequality is such a big deal. And people are basically finding surface level answers like, oh, the rich and oh, capitalism, when it's actually a lot more complicated than that. Again, we'll go back to my example with uh, deregulation and, and, and unemployment of, of, of blacks. Uh, unemployment started hitting when the regulations came in and chased the factories out and occupational licensing came in and people, they basically cut people off from being able to access entrepreneurship. And this disproportionately affects the people at the bottom of the economic ladder. And exactly. And, 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 it, it, seems, incentiv- yeah. and incent- it incentivizes uh, choices between a rock and a hard place, which is the welfare state or other means of making money. And then a common other means of making money might be selling drugs. Uh, and once you do a war on that, then there's like this whole disproportionate outcome there. So I yeah. think a lot of that stuff can actually be explained economically, but that doesn't really, you can't really bumper sticker that and drive people's emotions all over the place. Bam. 
Great answer. Question nine. Is it true now that it takes more than one full-time job for the average household to maintain the same standard of living enjoyed 50 years ago? Well, that's kind of a tricky question because the standard of living, they didn't have cell phones 50 years ago. They, uh, they didn't, like, air conditioning wasn't a norm 50 years ago. They didn't have, you know, high-speed internet where you could learn any skill you want on YouTube. Like, they didn't, so... The standard of living 50 years ago off of one, I, I think there's almost two points there. It's can you maintain a family off a single uh, single income versus the standard of living? You get what okay. I mean? Yeah, so, absolutely. So I would say our standard of living is higher, but our ability to to sustain a middle class existence off of one income is, is lower. Right on, man. But at the same time, they did have like the TV and that was like a big, huge new thing, man. And uh, everyone had one, you yeah, know, but so but, it's all comparative. That was, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all comparative, but I would say that the poor have a higher standard of living now than they did then even. Oh, absolutely. I, 100%. I agree with you on that. Question 10. Are you a supporter of cryptocurrency and why? Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm a supporter of cryptocurrency because of what money is. And this is this is straight out of Mises. Money isn't something that governments make. And it's not really any any something that any one person makes. Money is basically something that arrives out of the market from our own subjective value preferences, just like anything else. So if uh, if the market says, oh, I see utility in blockchain technology, and I think it's more secure than the dollar, even though it's not physical and tangible, then we should be free to choose that. The problem is that Gold didn't have legal tender laws to deal with, you know, okay. and, and, and the way that we do now. So its pathway into actually becoming a money was somewhat unobstructed compared to what crypto has to try to deal with now. But, yeah, I would, I would absolutely say that I, I believe in it. Right on, man. That's a bonus question. You're going to love man. Why does music written in a minor key sound sad or downbeat? While music in a major key sounds happy and upbeat. Hmm. You know, I don't, I don't know if I know. I don't know if I know enough music theory on that. Uh, I just thought maybe, come on, man, you're a metal guy. You, you got to know everything in metal is minor I don't key. know. <laughs> I, I, I'm not a music, I'm, I'm a music listener and a heavy music listener, a music appreciator, but I'm not exactly a, uh, a big music theory guy. Okay, great. Let's well, rocket fire. Give it up for Michael Heiss. Bam. I thought you would have liked that last question, man. I thought you would have been like, I know the answer. No, I, don't know, I, don't, I don't know why. I do know that it's true, but I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why either. That's why I was asking you. I don't know. I, I'm just throwing it out there, man. Hey, man, thank you so much. Anyways, this is Johnny Rocket. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We got more questions from Michael Heiss. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Rock and roll. Hey, Johnny, what's up? That's so good. I haven't had any coffee this morning, and I ran out of my supply, and we just passed the last habitable planet in the Mesian sector. Oh, man. Wait. You have your own secret stash of coffee? What is it, a special blend or something? It's not a secret stash. I just have standards, okay? Oh, okay. Wait, what are they? Independence. What? Independence. Hmm, okay. Independence, my coffee is fearlessly independent. My coffee has no board members, no bank loans, no bullshit. Just blood, sweat, and tears, and no goddamn rulers. You hear me? <laughs> well, I can always get behind independence, you know that, but it just seems a little over the top. It's just coffee. So are you saying that you like your coffee like our messaging, which is bold? Damn, really. My coffee is my lifeblood. This coffee <laughs> believes that human beings are perfectly capable of rational self-government, and I can't fly this fucking ship without Okay, it. okay, calm down. Uh, oh, look, ground control's coming by. Oh, and Ben has coffee with him. <sighs> Hey guys, Ground Control here. I just checked out AnarchoCoffee.com and they're having a special 10% off promotional discount for Blastoff supporters. On top of that, supporters get 15% off on our Blastoff brew. Anarcho Coffee will deliver to you no matter where you are in the galaxy. You guys want some? Here you go, Johnny. I heard this coffee is amazing. <sighs> okay. All right. This is the best coffee I've ever had. Wait, what about your special blend? I think I just found it. Wow. Well, and it says right here that Anarcho Coffee is organically farmed, it's ethically sourced, and roast to order. And it's not stored in some dirty warehouse for six months before you get it. It's fresh, it's rich, and it's independent. <laughs> Just like you wanted. And they take Bitcoin, too. Well, make sure you check out anarchocoffee.com forward slash blastoff. Again, that's anarchocoffee.com forward slash blastoff. It's self-governed caffeine.
Attorney Larkin. I'm here with my ray of truth, Miss Raylene Lightheart. Yeah. All right, so now, now you're having a little vacation. You're having a little break. Yeah. And now you get to jump in and take off. We're talking to Michael Heist, by and the way. save the day as my cape flaps. Save the day. I'm so f***ed. <laughs> Don't listen to me. You're on top of a building, all heroic-like. Yes. Yeah, we know. F***ed out, chin up. I'm looking. Great. Out, chin up. <laughs> chin yeah. up. Look at, you're looking into the sun. Yeah, there you go. All it's right, Raylene, take it yeah. away. I'm here for the fire. Okay, um, <laughs> what what uh, political talking points are going to be the most digestible by normie leftists and which for conservatives in the upcoming election season? From a libertarian standpoint or generally speaking? For the Mises Caucus. Let's talk about that. Like, what political talking points do you believe that the Mises Caucus can use to bring in the the normies on the left and the normies on the right, basically? So one thing I think libertarians in general need to do better about is um, while it's true that any economic inequality might not be a big deal in an economic sense, it absolutely is a big deal in a psychological sense. And that's not okay. something that we can just overturn and ignore. So I think we need to do a better job of... Uh, explaining how the Federal Reserve is a major player in that inequality. And it's not actually capitalism because we have a habit of just kind of being like, well, it doesn't matter. Why don't you read a economics book? And and, and that's <laughs> I, I, yeah, I said it all the time, dude. I say it all the time. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, hey, hey, if they're SJWs, it's fair game. But <laughs> well, yeah, well, we're talking amongst ourselves. We can talk. I know. Um, yeah. But yeah, not when you're talking to them. But yeah, so I would say in that sense, uh, we, we need to do a better of addressing people's issues for that, because that is a hot button. It's one that people really do feel threatened by, because mm-hmm. um, it's something that that Jordan Peterson talks about a lot, is that there's a phenomenon that where when enough people start to build up at the bottom, again, you can you can say it until it's blue in the face. And it, it could even be true that economically the inequality doesn't matter. But if you have enough people who don't care about that reality, don't recognize that reality and say, you know what, I think things would be better if I just flip the whole table and maybe I'll end up higher where I did. You know what I mean? Like, Right. When you have a high level of disenfranchised people like that, that's the outcome at at some point. So I I think we need to do a a better job of of explaining the Fed, you know, and and it's more than that Um, for the right. I think it's kind of the same standard thing, uh, which is the, the debt. You know, the debt, I think, is the big one on on the right. Yeah, I'm with you, man. Well, Michael, one thing that I've noticed is a large group of libertarians that they want to legislate libertarian ideas into action by the use of federal federal legislation, while others like the Mises Institute, you guys, uh, anyone who is part of the Radical Caucus want complete decentralization and implement things on the local level by getting rid of legislation. Why is decentralization more efficient and productive than more centralized laws, even in the name of liberty? Because you can't account for people's culture and their what they want to do with their free association. You know what I mean? Like we, yeah, I Tom Woods made it and talked about this example, like uh, the other day, it's not going to, we're not going to like go to Afghanistan or some third world country like Liberia or something like that and be like, here's a constitution. Your whole life's better now. You know, like, <laughs> and, and so we, we have to account that, you know, right. there might be communities that do not want abortion in their neighborhood. That's right, you know what I mean, like, or 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 there might be heavily gay concentrated areas, and and exactly, there's going to be people who don't want to be around that, and, and like, not because they're uh, uh, homophobes or anything like that. It's just maybe they just don't want their kids around that, or around being around personal people. Reason. So exactly. it's just the, division, exactly. the division of of association, basically. So whereas. Say, say the gay marriage thing, you know, um, we legalize it a, a, across the country and you're not allowed to ban it. Now, am I in favor of banning it? No. But the whole point is that those communities are going to be are going to yeah, freedom of association. Those communities, yeah. are, it's all it's all got to work itself out. So those communities, well, if you break it down to the to the town or county level, then it's not that easy or not that difficult for people to start to move around. Certainly not as difficult to to it move around from a state to state level. But basically what this does is it kind of gives everybody what they want because they can right. associate along the lines that they want. So, you know, why not isolate racists in the marketplace, you know, and, and say, oh, the people that shop there are racist, so we don't want to deal with them. Yeah. And in this day and age where you're probably not going to do well without a website and, and you know, the Internet anyway, 
I don't think it's going to work out. It's, believe it or not, it's not cool to be racist these days. <laughs> it's not. It's not a good thing. It's. Not, but here's the thing. You're right, though. But when you legislate morality on the top federal level and put it across the board, now you're taking away somebody else's choice by doing that. Even in the name of liberty, you could and bow on it. You could dress it up. You could put lipstick on pig, but you're taking away the choice of the individual. Right. And what if that church is like, hey, you know what? I'm not going to do this wedding, right? I'm not going to do this wedding. It's against my moral compass. Now you are forcing somebody to go against their own morality. Whereas there's, trust me, there's going to be a church down the street that's going to say, yeah, I want your money. We'll do the marriage for you. Not a problem. Right. And, and, and it's, you get what I, I, libertarians who I would say are basically ideologically possessed who, who would say that Oh well, you're you're defending bigots and this or that. It's like no, dude. I'm 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 just looking at reality. You can't look at you yes. can't look at everything through your ideological lens and and just say oh well, this is how every, everything should be and everybody yeah. should adhere to it because that's not how it works and it's not ever ha- ever going to be how it works. You know, reality is it, messy. People it's are impossible angry. to uh, lay out there and have. You can't have a law that is. M- rooted in subjectivity. You can't have a law, otherwise we could force, you know, uh, a one marginalized group to to have a, a cake baked for them. And it could be, it could get really ugly when you flip the script. You know, the whole Nazi and the Jew cake situation mm-hmm. compared to the gay wedding thing. Well, that's well, that's a little different because that's that's like talking about whether the government should force the banker. What we're talking about is if you were to basically press the Rothbard button, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's right. What 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 would happen? Do we just say everything's legal, you know, and and everybody has the same set of rules? I don't think I think I like the uh, the metaphor of the matrix here where there is so many people who are still plugged in and reliant on the system that it would be kind of a disaster uh, Mm -hmm. if you started taking too much away. And, yeah, we want freedom, but we don't want destruction either. That's right. And, and again, like a lot of us as anarchists with, you know, a lot of people, again, we, we talk about this on the show. We try to drive it home every time we get every chance we get, but we want laws. That's the thing. Like us as paleo libertarians or Misi and Rothbardian libertarians, we believe in laws. We just don't believe in rulers. And there's a difference. And, and a voluntary government would be like an HOA. I always try to tell people, you may not like your HOA all the time. You know, they may be and you don't like their the way you know you have to bring your garbage out at this time and but blah, then you blah, blah, can blah. move. But there, right. but there's a uniform. Yeah, there, but at least there would be a uniform set of principles upon which they are built that are understandable. Right. And then again, right. it's it's a lot easier to move to the next town over than it is to the next state over, or the yes. next f-ing country because that's the problem. It's so top down now. Micronation. Everything has become so yes, yeah, so centralized now. If you, it's going to get to the point. I, I guarantee it. Ten years from now, if you move to Mississippi to Washington State, which are completely two different cultural type states, mm-hmm. they're going to be have the same. Both states are going to have almost identical laws. You won't be able to tell the difference in between, between the two countries or the two states. Excuse me. It's going to be the same thing where they have different cultures and those cultures accept and the norms are different. The norms change and, and based on where you're at. What, what we're really scratching at here is one of the big divides in the libertarian movement as a whole. And it's it's one where I would say there really is a a split in the Rothbard basically created a split split in in the tradition. So I would say the liberal tradition, mm-hmm. it presumed that that the state was necessary and this is what a state should operate as. You know what I mean? So right. like minarchy, yeah. basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has its own set of first principles. Now, the results between that and the, the uh, Rothbardian, like <clears throat> logical deductive, you know, method of coming to the principles, mm-hmm. um, they might have a lot of the same uh, manifestations, but the way that you get there is different in that that in and of itself creates different manifestations on how you apply it. So that's why you're going to have some libertarians who say, yes, the, the federal government, uh, you know, legalizing gay marriage for the entire country is how we should go versus, well, you know, I think, you know, this town should handle it how they want and that town how, uh, should handle it how they want. Now, am right. I against what's happened? Like, because, you know, I, I know some people listen to this and be like, see, he wants gay marriage to be illegal. No, That's I don't. Um, but it, what it is, is so if it was between the, go- the federal government legalizing gay marriage or nothing, then absolutely do it. You know what I mean? Like I and, and there's still the freedom of association there. 
you know, churches can choose to do what they want. But it's it's always about fighting for what you want while taking what you can get. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. I'm I'm not 100 percent sold. I I just think that by forcing, you know, the states, you're you're changing. You're forcing something that they may not like on that local level may go against the cultural norm for that state. And that's all I'm saying. I think it's it's impeding on somebody else's well, personal I'm liberty. With that is that now they might change this, you know, or I think they might have just changed this. Maybe you could tell me, but legal doesn't necessarily mean you're forced to do it either. So if it's legal, that still necessarily doesn't, it's not necessarily saying every church has to provide this service. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? As long mm-hmm. as there's no force. Right. They can right. choose to handle that how they want. So you still have that element of, of uh, freedom of association there. Right yeah. on, man. So, but, but, if they, but, they, but where they cross the line then is by you know, saying, oh, you have to use your property in this way. That, but see, this is this is how it always goes. This is what I'm getting at. Where Which again, if you open up a business, exists, right? Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, if you open up a business, you have to adhere to these rules based on the the, the state's laws or this or that. You know, uh, right. you have to have. You can't have smoking in your bar. You can't have this in your bar. You can only mm-hmm. sell this. Yes. You can't sell that. You arrest the bartenders instead of who drank a bunch too much yeah, and then goes and hit somebody in their car. In that sense, that is another reason why the, the decentralization model is better because then it gives people the full choice of what to do. Uh, I agree. And, and they're also bear the full responsibility. You know, Perfect. right. And you and you would have different cultures in, in different areas. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just saying Absolutely. that you might have some areas that are a lot more you know, culturally conservative in this libertarian utopia that we wish to have. Right. But you would have areas like kind of like what we have now. But at the same time, they make up their own rules and people live by those rules. And it's not centrally forced. If they you know, to. You, well, here's, yes, here's if the, they choose to. Here's the good news, Johnny. Politically. Yeah. It's going to work a lot better for us to do a bottom-up model and take control of our our uh, our localities than it is yeah. for the Prags to get control of the the presidency and and you know tell everybody yeah. there. So so I'm um, with you, man. I, I get you, man. I am all for the Tenth Amendment Center decentralization, the bottom up instead of the top down. And at the same time, if there is a president running for the you know the Libertarian Party presidential nominee. That person should be focusing in on down ticket candidates. They're Ooh. not going to win. And I think that to me is the, the thing that the presidential candidate should be doing in the party. Right. Yeah, is absolutely. focusing in on down ticket so candidates. I want to ask Michael about that. Do you have any leads on some great candidates that we should be following or supporting right now? Good question. Well, so if I want to uh, answer this speaking as an individual yeah you know what i mean because because i i personally think that um, not a mises caucus endorsement yeah not a mises caucus endorsement well and the fact of the matter is is that the the audience i don't think there's a uh a consensus in our audience you know what i mean so like jacob hornberger for example from the future freedom foundation he's somebody that i think um would be popular if he entered the race amongst our people but i also think if justin amash entered the race that he would be popular amongst our people so i don't want to say anything that like takes a side like where I, I'm I'm taking a side for, on behalf of the caucus when it's not necessarily representative of sure no no I get it man I get it is there anything other than presidential candidates out there that you guys are looking at oh I mean where our focus is local and county so yeah, yeah. we're looking we're we're focusing on uh, judges school boards uh, city councils sheriffs that kind of stuff cool very cool very cool. Anyway, so here's my quick final thoughts. Committed to bringing property rights, non-aggression, and the Austrian economics to the Libertarian Party. Read Mises and Rothbard. Check out Michael at lpmisescaucus.com. Hey, Rilling, prepare for landing. Roger that, Johnny. Seatbelts and shoulder harnesses. Your body, your choice. Landing gear and downward expanders. NAP initiated. Anti-state superchargers. Defragged and woke. Landing lights and guest websites. Michael Heiss, give us your dot com, sir. So the main one is lpmisescaucus.com. And we also have misespack.com. Uh, and that's where you can go ahead and make a donation. It's You can make a recurring monthly donation for as little as $5 a month. If you agree with our mission of working on uh, a decentralized revolution via uh, a bottom-up political strategy of libertarians, as well as working on issue coalitions and, and liberty legislation uh, via ballot initiatives or lobbying. So if you agree with that, MisesPack.com 
as little as five bucks a month. It goes a long way. And lpmesescaucus.com, and you're there we uh, produce content to try to keep our principles uh, at the forefront of the conversation. But then there's also some really uh, useful resources there too. So I mentioned earlier our page, Our Actions. That's where you can kind of see uh, all the things that our 40 plus organizers around the country are, are working on. Uh, and <clears throat> there's also another one called The Beginner's Guide to the Libertarian Party. So we're trying to bring in a lot of people that I don't think are have ever been involved with the party. So, you know, party politics and, and politics in general might seem pretty daunting and you might not know where to start. The Beginner's Guide to the LP will give you what you need to maybe not feel so lost. There you go, man. Michael, thank you so much for being here on the show. Anyways, oh, Sony Rocket, always launching ideas. We'll see you next week. Rock and roll.